I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's going on, Celtics fans? Happy Friday. I hope you're having a good start to the morning, whether you're on the way to work, it might be your day after you're relaxing in bed. I don't know what you're doing, but either way, any way you want to look at it, you've decided to press play on this podcast, so I'm grateful. I'm joined by my fellow fellow Celtics (laughs) blogger, Michael Pierce. Michael, you've been on the show before, so everybody should know who you are, but just give them an introduction in case they missed it the last time. Yeah, how's it going? Um, I'm Michael. I live in Michigan, so I'm a Celtics fan from afar. Just wrote a story about that, actually. But I've been with Celtics Blog here for like about, oh my gosh, it's been seven months now that I've technically been on the staff. So, um, you know, I've just been getting into the swing of things, um, getting more involved with the community, um, you know, since it's a community that I don't directly live around. I'm just um, putting my opinions out there, doing some news, enjoying myself, and um, anxiously awaiting the return of Celtics basketball as well. That return of Celtics basketball is a few days away. When, well, we're classing training camp as a return of basketball. <laughs> at least. You know, we take what we can get at this point of the offseason. At least there's going to be actual basketball discussions to be had. On Wednesday's episode, I was with Will. We were kind of discussing, and this is a topic that kind of it's it's been going on in my brain. It's what's been getting me through this kind of dead part of the off season is roster battles. So Will and I spoke about what we see being the primary roster battles, but I know when I reached out to you, we kind of, uh, I kind of postulated the idea of looking at the guard rotation and where those battles are going to be, who might win and why they're important in the first place. Mm-hmm. I think from me, from like the reason I find them important is because everyone's got something that they're playing for, right? Like, Peyton Pritchard's playing to try and earn a bigger role, which in turn means that he might be able to snag a bigger contract in a year or two. Schroeder's obviously playing right now because, or Schroeder, sorry, somebody tweeted at me the other day just saying, just say Schroeder. So Schroeder um, is playing, obviously, to earn a contract at the end of the year. It's the same as Josh Richardson's doing the same thing. Then you've got Aaron Neesmith that's playing and trying to establish himself, and Romeo Langford is just trying to cling on to an NBA career for dear life at this point. And then we've got Marcus Smart, who's Marcus Smart. What would you say is the reason you find these battles so important and so interesting? I think it's just mainly super interesting because each move, the way that you move these people around the rotation affects uh, the other people in the rotation in different ways. Say like if you were to put Josh Richardson out there with a starting unit as a starting point guard, you have an incredible defensive uh, starting lineup in my opinion. But if you put Schroeder out there, Schroeder, excuse me, you have a little bit more balance of an offensive attack. And you also have what, in my opinion, too many ball handlers. So there's a lot of like balancing that goes into creating the rotation. And that balance, I feel like is found in rotation players like, um, you know, Richardson, Schroeder, Neesmith, Pritchard, uh, players like that, that when they're put with other players, the star players in certain situations, they can elevate or detract from them. Um, which is why it's so interesting to, you know, postulate on what these rotations could be and who fits with who in different scenarios better and who needs to stay off the court when this person's on the court, things like that. Like in my opinion, for example, I think that um, Schroeder and Pritchard together uh, is is a little bit worrisome at times and you want to minimize that because of the defensive aspect. I mean, Schroeder's a good defender, but, you know, um, you want to keep – 
Pritchard as more of an off-ball shooter who doesn't have to do much on the defensive end. So I like him paired with, say, uh, Richardson a little bit more than Schroeder because I feel like they complement each other well. It's all about just balancing things and making sure that um, everyone gets their fair share and everyone gets to play their role to their best ability, which is what you want on a team that um, what you preferably want to be firing on all cylinders and going into the playoffs and competing. So one of the things that you've just pointed on there is playing their role to the best of their ability, right? So this is where look, mm-hmm. I agree with everything you just said. The only thing that I kind of approach with a little bit of caveat, a little bit of a nuance, is every player has their own individual kind of narrative that runs alongside their role, right? And mm-hmm. they're all trying to achieve X, Y, and Z within a season or show developments in area A, B, or D, or whatever it may be, A, B, C. Um, I do know my alphabet. I do promise that. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, that's where I kind of start to look at things a little bit more from a storyline perspective as well as a roster fit perspective because obviously playing a starting um, point guard and shooting guard of Marcus Smart and Dennis Schroeder gives you a, a ton of defense and a ton of energy, but I just feel like it kind of kills the spacing a little bit because the Schroeder's um, love for driving and Marcus Smart likes to get those heat checks up. More along the lines of maybe Richardson and Smart would probably be the best defensive lineup, the worst offensive lineup in terms of the guard rotation. Absolutely. And then and then you start looking at, well, now that, that if you take the storylines into account, well, now Schroeder and Marcus Smart are just going to be an absolute nightmare when it comes to early offense and um, shot selection being kind of questionable because both guys are out there trying to do certain things. Maybe Smart wants to prove he's more of a shooter after clapping back at a few Celtics journalists towards the end of last season. Schroeder wants to prove he wasn't, um, you know, what happened in LA for him in terms of contractness. Contract status doesn't kind of go by the wayside and he's seen as an actually productive member of the rotation. So, yeah, I think if we dive into it from there, when we actually look at what each player is probably entering the season hoping to achieve versus what their role within that rotation should allow them to achieve, uh, I think that's the best way of putting it. That's where it gets super interesting to me. So I think we start this with who's your starting point guard and starting shooting guard and why? I went with, in my mind, the the worst offensive pairing of Jay Rich and Smart. Because even though Smart isn't a great offensive player, he's a very versatile offensive player that can do many things. So he's definitely going to be in the starting lineup. And I don't think that he takes too much away that where you need to put someone like um, Schroeder in to get more driving help. I think when you have Tatum and Brown on the floor, you're going to want the ball in their hands the majority of the time. I mean, Jason Tatum is a playmaking four that can score from all three levels. You want him with the ball initiating offense, and you want uh, JB initiating offense as well um, with his three-level scoring skill set. And, and he is a decent playmaker as well. Um I think putting the ball in those two's hands the majority of the time is easier when you have Josh Richardson on the court as opposed to having Schroeder, who is, a ball, like you said, a ball-dominant guard who likes to create his own shot. And because Schroeder is ball-dominant, wants to create his own shot, and wants to show that he is the guy, I think it makes perfect sense, and a lot of other Celtics fans I've seen believe that Schroeder would be a great six-man. And I think that's definitely the best fit for Schroeder at this point. That way you can give him a little bit more agency, a little bit more freedom. He gets to 
have that control like he likes, and he gets to be the best option coming off the bench as far as ball handling and driving. So, and with that killer defensive intensity as well. I think that despite, you know, Schroeder probably being a better all around player than Richardson, Richardson with his mentality and what he looks to do fits in better with the starting lineup. Just like you said, with, you know, what do these players want to do when they go out there at the end of the day, they're people and um, they want to do their thing. And Josh Richardson's doing his thing fits better with a starting lineup, in my opinion, than Dennis at this point. Yeah, so I'm a big believer in fit is just as, if not more important than talent. I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, if you've got your star pairing lined up or your star trio, depending on what team you are, the fit of the role players is probably a little more imperative than the quality in terms of skill set of those role players. Because you can see guys that, have absolute tears for two, maybe even three seasons. And once they leave that role that they were in with a certain team, they're never the same player again because the the role is what made them so successful. They weren't, the role amplified them rather than them amplifying the team. So I believe that too. I'm very big on, you know, the Celtics have a bunch of role players. Now it's finding out how best to maximize those players, which in turn maximizes the rotation. The only thing I'd differ with you on, is um, I'm very big on having more floor spacing on that starting unit because I'm in the same mm-hmm. camp as you. I think you want to keep developing Jason Tatum's playmaking ability. You want to see what you've got under the hood of a Jalen Brown in terms of a secondary creator, a secondary distributor. So in order to do that, you need to make sure that the floor is open enough for them to be able to drive and cause those defensive rotations to where they can start hitting secondary and tertiary passing options. And to do that, for me... I would much prefer to have Aaron Neesmith as your starting two. And I know a lot of people are like, he's not ready. He hasn't shown enough to be moved into the starting unit. My rebuttal there is, one, playing alongside so many high-caliber guys, like having Al Horford around you, having Tatum, Brown, Smart. A few mistakes can easily be bailed out by the, the talent level and the hustle that the guys around him have and the hustle that Neesmith has shown himself. But it also means that he's development is expedited because he's playing against more sterner defenses and it doesn't just because you start doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get given starting minutes you're just literally starting the game doesn't mean you're ending the game doesn't mean you're a 25 again uh, 25 plus minutes per night performer it just means that you are in that opening unit and the reason i like that more than i like josh richardson is because you need as many off-ball scoring threats as physically possible when you're trying to develop a, a ball-handling power forward and turn somebody like Tatum, that's a scoring superstar, into a legitimate point forward, free-level scoring, distributing threat. Same goes with Jalen. So Marcus Smart can be your off-ball three-point threat from time to time, but you don't really want to rely on him being a knockdown shooter. So having someone like Neesmith that is arguably the team's most talented shooter, having him on that starting five just gives a little bit more gravity to the perimeter-based offense, allows them to run some some nice five-out offense, some modern offensive sets. And then we can really see where Tatum and Brown have taken that step in terms of um, shot creation and offensive creation when it comes to being distributors. Mm -hmm. I I definitely... I, I think the idea of Aaron Neesmith right now is a little better than actually who Aaron Neesmith is. Um, he has shown flashes, but I feel like you want someone who's a little more steady and a little more, um, I would say, 
adjusted to NBA game speed and a little more confident, I feel like. And where I, while I feel like Aaron Neesmith's confidence is better than his peers, like Romeo Langford, definitely, um, and Grant Williams for sure, I just don't know if he's ready for that jump just yet. It is a big jump in terms of the, the talent you're facing, I feel, and the pressure and the expectations that are placed on you. So I ideally, yeah, I would love for Aaron Neesmith to take that that role and be that. But at this point, I'm just not sure. I, I tend to lean to it more toward the him not being ready camp myself, which is why um, I'm, I sacrifice a little bit of floor spacing with bringing Richardson into the starting lineup because I think Smart is an – a decent three-point shooter still, and I think that Brown and Tatum, obviously, elite shooters, and um, with Horford in my starting lineup, I think there's some big man spacing that can be uh, utilized as well, and that spacing isn't as horrible as it might seem. <laughs> but definitely, <laughs> I do agree with you that that having Richardson and Smart in the backcourt definitely limits that floor spacing, which, as we know, is a very, very crucial aspect of the NBA these days. Um, so it is definitely, there's a reason it's a battle, you know, there's no clear option because everyone brings different strength to the table. I like to look at it as, um, like actors. Um, you've got your two leading actors on this offense and not everyone's built to be a lead actor. Some people are just built to be side actors or comic relief actors or background actors. Even you might not even, you might be the best background actor of your time. Um, but that's just what you're good at. And that's how I feel. Um, some of these these players are they're very complimentary and they shine in those roles and I want to see them placed alongside maybe some heavier hitters that can bring the best out of them and I feel like Josh Richardson could I- improve a little bit um, off his recent struggles playing with some uh, better shooters that'll take some attention away from him maybe you know he'll um, have a more confident three-point shot himself I know he's had a tough couple of years here recently yeah, I mean, in terms of not being ready, so in terms of Aaron Neesmith being a developing actor, somebody that's still going to acting class, getting the occasional lead <laughs> role, but majoritally they're all they're playing second fiddle. If we look at Neesmith like that, I can completely agree that it's a very big risk placing him into a role that will put him up against far more superior defenders than what he's probably used to playing against. And for somebody that struggled finding his shooting boots during the NBA last season, during the NBA season last year, sorry. Um, Putting him in that role might be too much too soon. I just believe that unless you have a premium playmaker, somebody that can unlock defenses with or without spacing, somebody that can really generate offensive looks for others out of nowhere, then you need that floor spacing. And when you're developing guys that are slowly learning how to be ball handlers, that are going against what they've done their entire careers up, up to this point in just being scorers, you need to give them as much wiggle room to perform as physically possible. So if it wasn't Aaron Neesmith, I could still get on board with running a Peyton Pritchard at the two, who is a little bit more composed, who is a little bit more NBA-ready in terms of his mentality and the way he ha- he seems to handle pressure but then you lose a little bit on the defensive end and you lose a little bit of size. So, yeah, it's definitely a battle. And I don't think there's a genuine answer as to who should start at that two or realistically. I mean, we're talking about this with the notion that Brown starts at the three, right? When last year he spent a lot of time playing the two. So if you're looking at this rotation now, we've got Marcus Smart, 
Richardson, Schroeder, Pritchard, Neesmith, and then we can even throw Romeo Lafford into that guard rotation as well. Mm-hmm. Who would you be the who would be the guy that you're gonna say, hey, for the majority of this season, they're on the outside looking in? I think it has to be Romeo at this point. You know, the Celtics have just I like Romeo for sure. I do like his potential. Uh, I think his potential is starting to fade a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm a little nervous. Maybe that's just um, me getting a little little worried about my boy Romeo, but he just doesn't bring anything, I think, that's much different than anybody else brings at this point to where you sort of have to give him minutes. I feel like at this point, Romeo needs to show you that he deserves them and not, you know, he's he – like whereas Neesmith and Pritchard, it's like you have to give them minutes. They they bring things that um, other people don't. Pritchard's shooting is tremendous, and Neesmith's shooting is good with an incredible amount of hustle and rebounding. As uh, one of those scouts in Keith Smith's Scouts View series talked about, um, he he said that his hustle was off the charts. He's gonna calm down, or he's gonna hurt someone or himself. You know that that's a that's a skill. Genuinely, I mean Russell Westbrook's energy is a skill. Uh, you know, Aaron Neesmith's hustle is a skill. It's not just, you know, being pushing yourself so hard. It's that, that is an innate skill. Not everyone can hustle like that. But to me, Romeo doesn't bring anything like that. Yeah, he's a great defender, but you have great defenders on this team right now. Um, you have people with great length and size as well, which is also what Romeo has is good length. Um, you know, Schroeder, Schroeder is a good defender. Smart is a good good defender. Richardson's a good defender. Tatum is a good defender. Even um, doesn't get enough credit for it. But so, what does Romeo really bring? Not much anymore. I feel like last year he received some minutes because of you know the massive amount of injuries and COVID, um, everything like that. But and there was space for him. I felt like. But now the Celtics this offseason they brought in some key rotational NBA players that have established histories in the league. And it's going to be tough for Romeo to really wrestle away a ton of minutes from those players. And um, I told you this yesterday, but I was, uh, I just started a Celtics franchise and I wanted to get really into the, on 2K. And I really wanted to get into the staffing and the rotations and doing that and building it and seeing what it would look like. And I just couldn't find it in myself to give Romeo any minutes in my rotation. I just, it just didn't make sense to me. And that's a video game, but <laughs> I just feel like when I think of who needs to see the floor, Romeo Langford isn't one of those players that needs to see the floor anymore, which sucks. Yeah, I hate it, it does. It, it sucks. I completely agree. I think that for me, if Romeo was to find a way to being a rotation player on this team, the only way I can really see him figuring it out is by becoming an excellent cutter. And I think that a player's ability to make well-timed cuts, to make hard cuts, to manipulate a defensive structure with when they cut and how they cut, I think that's a very underrated skill within itself. And Romeo is predominantly a slashing forward or a slashing guard, depending on what kind of area you want to place him into. We can call him a wing, a slashing wing. And But he doesn't have the end product. He hasn't displayed an end product at NBA level. We've had flashes like that one big athletic dunk during summer league, but they're too few and far between. So becoming a good cutter also means that teams have to respect your ability to finish and be a play finisher. Because if you're cutting, sometimes you're going to receive the ball in a scoring area. So I agree. I don't think there's anywhere that Romeo slides into this rotation, but I do think if 
he does get minutes and can start finishing at a higher clip around the rim or in the mid-range off of movement, then maybe he can start to carve out a role for himself as a decoy in, in a play set. And you rely on his cutting ability and his basketball IQ of when to time those cuts to create offense elsewhere. Well, now you can feasibly see a route back into that rotation. But to start the year, as much as I think this is where you need to kick the tires on him the most because it's that third year, he's finally had an off season where he's been healthy and been able to train. He's, it's just the cards just haven't fell right for him. And I honestly think he might just need a fresh start in a new franchise. Yeah, it's so difficult because the the whole the thing that he struggles with is the counters. He doesn't have many counters to what the defense gives him. And he really needs the ball in his hands to unlock that slashing and, and you know driving ability that he possesses and that athleticism. But he doesn't do enough else so that when he has the ball, he really can do much else with it. He can't he's not an, an very good playmaker when he's 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 driving with the ball he doesn't have a lot of respect on the three-point line with defenses and like you said he's not a he's not a mid-range shooter either so when you have a guy that you can just see okay we'll just stop the drive that's it he's not going to really be able to do anything else it sort of limits what you can do offensively and it also limits like um the, just the growth you can have because you, you don't want to give that player the ball all the time because there's not much you know, the defense isn't respecting him too much. So you want to try to unlock him more off ball, but Romeo's, you know, he struggles more off ball. I mean, last year is, is a three point field goal percentage was just 27.8. I know that's limited sample size in a COVID year, but man, it's, it's like, you want to see him develop some counters to what the defense is giving him because otherwise you're not going to want to give him the ball as much as he probably needs in order to improve with what he's got. Um, and it's unfortunate because I feel like with a lot of these players on the Celtics team, genuinely, like uh, Neesmith, Langford, and Grant Williams especially, I feel like last year it really sucked that that was the year that they had in these pivotal foundational years of their NBA careers because that's just another year that gets like drained off their contract. And the front offices and even probably themselves don't even really know how to interpret these things. How do we interpret last year with – um, how many games certain players on the Celtics missed and how many people were out and in the lineup and shuffling around across the league too. You're not seeing consistency in your opponents or your own roster. It's like, how do you actually grow your game when there's no consistency at all because of, you know, a pandemic, which is nobody's fault, but it just, it's really unfortunate that the Celtics have, I feel like four players that are young and in their rookie deals that essentially just had to, have a throwaway year in their development and a year that no one really knows how to interpret properly. I feel like I couldn't agree more for guys that have just came into the league, like Pritchard, Neesmith, they missed out on a very foundational piece of development and become mm-hmm. acclimated to the league in summer league. Grant Williams, for me, like the drop off in production from his rookie league to his sophomore league was shocking. Like there was times where he just did not look like an NBA player last year. And there was times the season before where he looked like he could be a legitimate eighth or ninth guy on a rotation for a team that could potentially contend for a championship. So uh, in terms of lack of continuity, that's a great point that something I hadn't really put too much stock into is how do you prepare for a game not knowing who you're going to be guarding? Like the, yeah. scout, the, the scouting report, usually a scouting report it would probably say like what? You've got two or three guys at your position that rotate minutes. These are their tendencies. 
And now you're looking at it like, hey, like there's two or three guys at this position, but they might end up sliding a point guard up to the three because they have no choice in this game because they've got eight healthy players. So now you're going to have to try and guard somebody vastly quicker than you, vastly more skilled as an on-ball um, ball handler and on-ball creator than you. Just do the best you can. And it is tough, especially for guys like Grant, where they don't have tremendous upside in terms of how much more they can improve their game. They're very much based on positional IQ and just on the fact that they can be a glue guy in the, in the, um, in the locker room and they can call out some good play sets in terms of actually vocalize coaches' instructions off the bench. So I, I completely agree. I think it was a really tough year for these young guys. And it was also a year where there was so much um, momentum that they could grab and kind of take forward coming into this year that it was an opportunity missed. And now, when, as you said, when you look at the players that have actually came into the rotation this year and joined, joined the Celtics, the lack of the momentum seized by these young guys is actually going to hurt them more than what we thought it would last year because now those minutes that they were hoping to have this year are going to start drying up real quick. I mean, nothing's Schroeder, a guarantee. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Schroeder, dude, like if you're Peyton Pritchard, you're looking at Dennis Schroeder and thinking, well, how do I get minutes over this guy who's got so much experience, has yeah. been in contention for sixth man of the year? It's There's a lot of questions that must be going through some of these younger guys' minds as well. And that's good for comp competition and for fostering a competitive spirit. But it also must be difficult for these guys not knowing how often they're going to play. I think personally, this is a little bit off topic, but I think personally, Pritchard and, and Schroeder, Schroeder, now I got that. You got that in my head now. Uh, Pritchard and Schroeder, they fit pretty well together in my mind, despite you know the lack of size. I I am looking forward to seeing the Pritchard and Schroeder defense uh, minutes off the bench with. Dennis's driving ability and Peyton's just incredible shooting ability. That's something I'm personally excited for with the second unit. If Schroeder, Schroeder is a second unit player, because we we might think that he fits better there, but Ime Udoka might see it differently. And that's just how it is. I mean, how many people were screaming to end the double big lineups last year, but Brad just kept on going. You know, sometimes it doesn't matter what we think is best. They're the ones making the calls. So I'm hoping to see some Schroeder and uh, Pritchard together the question is then so let's let's look at it like this who would you say are your locked on four so your locked on two point guards two shooting guards that we're going to see on a nightly basis all the way through the season barring injury or suspension i think it has to be Smart, Richardson, Pritchard, and Schroeder at this point. I don't, um, because on, honestly, I see Neesmith more as a, a three that could play two. Um, with the way the NBA is going, um, him at, what, 6'5", he, he, he projects to me more as a, a versatile wing that can guard twos and fours maybe even um, with his energy and, you know, length. But... I view him more as a three and more as the um, like future, a future like playing down three more than an, a true two. So smart, smart definitely Richardson, Pritchard, and Sh and Schroeder, and I really enjoyed the versatility that you have with all four of those. Genuinely, because they all bring a little bit of different things. You know, Smart and Richardson are way more defensive heavy, even Schroeder too, but. Um, 
And then Pritchard with his shooting ability, I think, guarantees him a very safe, very solid role in this offense, no matter which position he's playing, the one or the two, because he does have the ability to uh, put the ball on the floor and try to find the open man. But he also has that elite level three point shooting that we saw, you know, Mr. 92 points himself. Um, (laughs) And I think that shooting, you know, shooting translates no matter what. And Pritchard is already a good NBA shooter. So he could, you brought it up earlier, but I think that a potential smart Pritchard, Brown, Tatum, Horford, or Williams lineup in the future could be something that, that works in certain situations. You know, maybe you're playing a little bit more of an undersized backcourt, maybe a Cleveland Cavaliers. You know, you throw Smart and Pritchard out there against Garland and Sexton. You have put Smart on Sexton and Pritchard on Garland, and you've got a very good defensive playmaker and smart and then a shooter and Pritchard in the backcourt to complement Tatum and Brown. I like that. And I think that the fact that there are so many ways we can spin this proves that we probably won't be seeing too much of a consistent rotation. We'll be seeing based more on the opponent like that. Cause I mean, when you, when you play teams like Cleveland, you're going to want two smaller guards cause they have two small, quick guards, but against a team like Milwaukee, you might not want to do that. I like this. I like the fact that we're going to be matchup dependent. It's going to be positionally dependent. Mm-hmm. I also like the way that you're looking at Neesmith as more as a free because that's how I saw him when he came into the league. But I do like him at the two just because of that size that he gives. And I'm kind of looking at the way Brad Stevens is developing the rotate, the roster, and the way I'm expecting Gudoka to run the rotation, that it's going to be a lot of skill with size, which means guys may be playing down a position. But as you say, you you still need the ability to go small. And having guys being able to run uh, Schroeder and a Pritchard backcourt, being able to throw Grant Williams in at a small ball five or Jabari Parker in at a small ball five, there's a bunch of versatility from start to finish on this roster. And it makes you start to wonder, like, is there really a roster battle going on? Or is it simple, like, for, for the guard and wing positions? Or is it simply just, can Romeo Langford beat Aaron Neesmith to a consistent role and have Neesmith on the outside looking in? Because it does feel like it's just one player that's really going to miss out on a consistent role this year. Mm-hmm. And I just I can't see how Romeo finds his way back into this rotation. But I can also see a world where Neesmith struggles to score, struggles to score off curling off screens, is very much a stationary shooter. And when you're nothing but a shooter, well, your value in the league kind of starts to diminish once you get to the the playoffs and at that point maybe you have a bit of foresight and you're like hey we might need Romeo here instead so we need to develop him now I just don't see it happening yeah you know it's unfortunate but I mean there we say we don't see how Romeo can get in this rotation but I mean every year injuries happen I don't know he could find his way through somewhere like that he, he could even progress more than we expect this offseason but right now I, I, I also don't see it presuming perfect health for everybody um, to me he plays Kind of like a, uh, he's like a, a two in like a tre- like a Trevor Ariza body. Like that's like his his like ceiling is if he could develop that that three point shot. I think as is, is his main key to finding any sort of lineup versatility because like you said he's not as much of a shooter so that kind of hurts during playoff time. But if he could if he could just stay consistent, I don't know. Maybe uh, Neesmith could give him some tips on the shooting stroke, but. Romeo has shown that, at least in the past, I know we say this all the time, but he's got like a decent, you know, natural shooting ability, but he he just hasn't been able to unlock it. I think that's the only way that we could really see him do 
anything as far as breaking in the rotation. It's just, I don't know. I hate being so negative about it because about Romeo, especially because he has one of the weirdest situations of any player I've seen in recent history coming into the league um, with his, like his injuries and stuff in like some people like Markel Fultz have just had the horrible injury luck and just have horrible luck with these massive injuries. But I feel like Romeo's luck has been even just so strange. It's like a minor thing here, a minor thing there. Then COVID happens, takes away his entire off season for his second season, affects his versus his second season. And it's like, this dude has not been given a break from the first moment he declared for the NBA draft and then got a wrist injury. You know, it's like, I don't know how to evaluate him anymore. It's, it's so confusing. It's tough, man. Like I'm looking at this roster now and like, it's the same as you. I'm trying to give myself a world where I can be like, well, Romeo reminds me of this player or Ro- and Neesmith reminds me of this player and their route to get into that level of skill is through taking option A or B or C. And it's really difficult. Like with Neesmith, you can see a world where he becomes a Duncan Robinson type scorer, but then you can also see a world where he follows a Jalen Brown trajectory and slowly develops each year and becomes this free-level scoring wing that can get it done down on the, down at the rim and can also hit middies coming off screens or beating and closeouts. So you can see that developmental tree that, um, cause I like to think of development as a tree where there's different branches and depending on what branch you kind of go to depend, like shows you the next route towards the player that you're going to end up being. But yeah. with Romeo, it's like his, his demeanor on the floor reminds me very much of Kyle Anderson. Plays at his own pace. Looks like he's not really trying half the time. So Whoa. very much, yeah, very much a slow mo X type of demeanor. But the skill set isn't there for me to say if you do X, Y, or Z, then you will end up in a similar role as slow mo. And maybe that's just because of the shooting. Maybe it's because Romeo's a slasher that gets pushed off his driving line every time he goes he goes into the trees. You just see it all the time. A defender will stay strong and Romeo will circle around them rather than trying to run at them and through them, um, which is a big issue for me. The first thing for me, if I'm looking at improvements, I think for Neesmith, I want to see more shooting off of screens. I want to see more movement shooting. Show me that you can score while a, def- a defender is still trading you rather than just as a set shot. For Romeo, it's going to be if you're not going to be able to hit freeze, work on a floater game, start being able to do some damage in the floater area of the court and then slowly start to build your confidence and then take step back and back and back and work your way to that three-point line. I, I think I'd like to see Romeo also improve a little bit in um, just ball handling and decisiveness. You know, when he, when, I wanted to see him make a decision seemingly before, you know, the play is, is coming together. Um, I want to see him like setting up players with his body language and, you know, maybe leaning one way and, and, and making him think he's going to go some way and completely hitting him with some misdirection. I, I just want to see more purpose to the, to the game that he's playing. Like you said, it's very slow. It's at his own pace for sure. But I feel like when you see players who play slow like that, they have a definitive purpose in the way they carry themselves and the way that they, they move with or without the ball. Whereas I feel like Romeo, it's it's like he doesn't have a purpose before he sees what the defense is doing. He's reacting to the defense. The defense isn't reacting to him. 
I like to call that. There's a, a YouTube channel I follow. I cannot remember the name, so I do apologize to whoever runs that YouTube channel. But they always pull it down as mental speed. So your ability to perceive, process, and react, right? So Romeo doesn't show two of those qualities. He doesn't show the perception and the processing speed to have what you would class as high-level mental speed, which is mm. what you're talking about, being able to set guys up with the way you move your eyes or the way you drop a shoulder or lean your body weight one way because you're perceiving the way the defense is is playing you and then you process the way they're playing you and then you react by countering. So that's definitely something that you'd want to see Romeo improve on. I think it's something that you'd want to see Neesmith improve on as well, to be quite honest, being able to use his, his scoring ability to be an option as a counter. You know what I'm saying? So when there's, if he's on the weak side and there's a play set being run on the strong side, Neesmith taking the initiative to relocate and stretch that defense out either to open the driving lane or to make himself available for a dump off or kick out, that's something that you want to develop there too. And I do think that's something that separates high-level players from average role players is that mental speed. So I, I'd, sure. be, I'd, be, I'd be excited to see that development. Yeah, I was just going to say, man, you see that with Tatum and Brown specifically. I feel like personally it's like Jalen Brown has great processing, but Jason Tatum has phenomenal processing. It's like everything Jason Tatum does with his like body and his arms, his footwork is calculated in order to get to his spot and get his shot. It's like what it's what all the elite basketball minds do. Jokic does it with his passing. Um, LeBron does it, and he's been doing it since 2002. But <laughs> it's interesting to look at it that way. I do think both of them need to improve in that. But I feel like what Neesmith has over Langford that we've talked about before is just that elite motor that you can't teach that either. Um, those players that just come in running like a chicken with their head cut off, uh, for lack of a better metaphor here, those players, you can't teach that. You cannot teach that just innate hunger for the game and that innate drive. And if Neesmith could improve some processing with that drive, I, I do think that's where the most potential I see in him is is if he can combine those two things and build upon his skills that he already has that are great. But it is difficult to see a path for Romeo. Um, I'm interested in what how you feel about Schroeder. We haven't talked a ton about Schroeder. Um, how do you, what is your ideal role for Dennis Schroeder and like minute count and who he's playing with? Yeah, so I was like mad against Dennis Schroeder um, when he was first being tossed around as an option for the Celtics. Mm -hmm. um, mainly because like, again, as I said at the start, I do believe that every player has their own narrative, their own storyline slash agenda. And coming off failing to secure the bag that he was expecting to secure, I feel like he's going to have this point to prove and maybe becomes this one-man solo mission. But then I, don't, I watched every possession he had last year um, from every scenario on the court. And I think I watched most of them twice. And what I learned from watching all that was he is still a very much score-first point guard. He will always look for his own shooting opportunity first. but And his assist numbers are quite deceiving because generally they're when defences have taken away his scoring opportunity and then he reads and reacts quite quickly. Mental speed again. But I think... I like him as a six-man because you need somebody that can come in and can orchestrate an offense and get his own shot. And I also like the pick-and-roll game he could develop with a Robert Williams if Schroeder becomes more of a winning lob passer because he wasn't really that last year. 
Uh, he likes that mid-range. He likes to come off screens and hit those elbow jumpers more than he does freeze, which was something that surprised me. Um, so I'm quite high on him as a six man. I think about 24 minutes a night, maybe 26 minutes a night off the bench, that seems to be an ideal role for him. Orchestrating an offense a little bit, running those pick and rolls, giving you a defensive presence in terms of aggression and hustle. And that aggression is a key point to me too. It's something that the Celtics were lacking last year in terms of just the entire roster seemed a little bit too nice. And Schroeder seems like one of these guys that will take great pride in being quite aggressive in the way he defends you, aggressive in the way he attacks defensive coverages. But I definitely don't think he is the guy that I'd want starting because does he? I don't yeah. think he could thrive in a, in a role where the ball is in, in his hands for the majority of the game. Yeah, I mean, if you put Schroeder in the starting lineup, he's essentially... On certain nights, he might even be the fifth option in the starting lineup. So I don't think that's that's what you want to do either. Um, I do really like the fact that the Celtics got Schroeder at that price for what he's going to do. For $6 million for a very solid six-man, it, it's great. I think that that's, that's where I like to see him too. So I'm glad you agree with that. Um, but, man... And Dennis really has rehabilitated his image um, post that with uh, some instant, interesting Instagram posts as well about his his contract uh, situation. So it's good to see that he's got a sense of humor, you know? Yeah, he's definitely took it on the chin. And maybe mm-hmm. maybe he's not the guy that, we, that I personally think that he came in with. Maybe he's actually came in to play a role. Because at the end of the day, if you excel in a role that you've bought into, you're more likely to get a better contract next year than if you come in as a mercenary and just try and prove that you can get your own numbers. Teams will always value a team-first mentality over an individualistic mentality. Oh, yeah. So I, I'm, all the, I'm all for it, man. I'm excited to see. That kind of wraps us up. Um, I'm going to be quite honest. I ordered some food. It told me it would be 50 minutes. It came in 40. Um, <laughs> so, everybody, I'm going to eat. Happy Friday. I hope you all have a great day. Michael, man, it's been great having you on the show. I love it when we get to talk ball. Do you want to let everyone yeah. know where they can find you before we get out of here? Yeah, for sure. Well, first, Adam, I totally understand. As a, a former DoorDasher, I get that sometimes that food is not always as hot as you might want it to be. So, you got to get to that as fast as you can. But, yeah, um, I'm doing my thing. I'm still writing for Celtics blog. You can find me at at PierceM10 on Twitter, P-E-A-R-C-E. Um, do, I'm doing some color commentary in the States for some high school football, not soccer. Um, <laughs> and I'm just loving it, man. I'm getting more involved. Sports are back. It's good to be at these stadiums and in Michigan and see all these kids having fun playing football, all these families, just the communities coming together. So it's great to see. And I'm excited for our Celtics community to come together and um, there's going to be a lot more content on Celtics blog, obviously, that you guys are going to want to check out and a lot more podcasts from this man. So we're we're hitting we're hitting it finally. We're getting there. We're getting past the summer. It's going to finally. It's took a while. It's been a long <laughs> summer. Right. Everybody listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. It was a little bit more Romeo and Neesmith than what we originally planned. But I suppose those two are the variations and the wild cards in this discussion. Make sure to show Michael some love. Um, I'll link his Twitter bio in the description. So if you want to shoot him a follow, he's always putting out some uh, well-thought-out discussion points and well-thought-out articles. He, um, he's doing great stuff. He's a rising star in the Celtics cool. world. I'm pretty sure of that. Uh, after that, you know you know the score, man, So um, or ladies. So leave that five-star written review if you're on an Apple device. If you're not on an Apple device, that's okay. Just make sure word of mouth, you know, Uber driver, DoorDash guy, um, 
don't know, colleagues, brothers, sisters, aunties, uncles, second cousin twice removed, whoever it is that you know is a Celtics fan, they might want to listen to the show, and I'd appreciate it if you spread the word. You can catch us again on Monday. We're back to normal full swing now. Now I've had my few weeks off, and um, I look forward to coming back on Monday. Everybody have a safe weekend. Don't do anything I wouldn't do, which means you can do absolutely everything. Michael, thanks again for joining us, man. Thank you, man. Leave five stars. Make Adam smile. Ain't disrespecting you haters. I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all been testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the famous. Just rather be creative than stressing my wages. Ageless every time I lay a verse down. One play at a time. Keep it moving like a first down. And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this. MJ never made it to the majors. Still, he chased greatness. Expected that he might fail. And I might too. I might never get to pop champagne. Celebrating with the crew. This ain't everything I am. It's something that I do.